Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hello, I'm Balaam Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we're excited to be joined by Jeroen Korthout. Jeroen is a co-founder of Cloudflare, which provides customer relationship management solutions for small and medium-sized businesses. Bela, this is an interesting conversation. You had an interesting company, interesting founder. Let's go ahead and give it a listen. Hello, listeners. Bela Musitz here. Today, I have a wonderful guest, Jeroen Korthout. He co-founded a company uh, called Sales Flare. It's an interesting story, and uh, we're going to get right into it. Welcome to the show, Jeroen. Thank you. So let me ask you a question. Uh, If you're at a social event and you get introduced to somebody... And they ask you, uh, Yarun, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Uh, I usually don't go too much into detail. I just say uh, I lead a software company, a small company, uh, but I don't go tell them the whole story. Or, or that's 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 mainly where I where I stop. And if they they ask like, okay, what's the software for? Uh, then I'll tell them it's uh, it's for salespeople to help them uh, build better relationships and. And make more sales. Okay. And so tell me a little bit about the company. Uh, how large is it? Uh, how many employees? Uh, where are you located? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are located in, in Belgium, center of Europe. Um, we are a team of seven. Uh, we currently manage around uh, a bit over 2,000 companies actively using the software. Um, and it's a, it's a CRM software company. Uh, so it's a sales CRM for small and medium-sized businesses that sell B2B. Okay. So not every listener may know what the acronym CRM stands for. So could you mm-hmm. uh, define that for us? Yeah. Like I said previously, it's, uh, it's, it's to help salespeople build. Or not, I mean, everyone who does sales, not, not particularly salespeople. It could be uh, you have your own company perhaps and you're selling as well. It's to help you build better customer relationships because that's what the C and the R of customer relationship management are for and uh, <laughs> of, of uh, CRM are for, I meant. Uh, so the M is for management. Uh, that's clear now as well. Um, so you manage your customer relationships. Um, you track everything about customers, like who they are, what they like, what their phone number is, uh, but also the whole... Uh, flow of communication, like every time you're in contact, what you discuss, all that. Um, traditionally, sales well, CRMs have been focused much more on on the, let's say the the, the first part, the, just the data about the people. Uh, more and more now, uh, CRMs start being uh, centralized around the communication flows, uh, because in the end, selling is is a lot about communicating. Uh, and and the rest is, is, is more secondary to that. Yeah. So how long ago did you start this business? We started it now uh, six and a half years ago. Okay. And uh, CRM, or Customer Relationship Management, is a very crowded space. Uh, there's Salesforce.com. There's all sorts of large players in that. So how does mm-hmm. a small company sort of start up and, and grow and build and convince customers to adopt their software uh, versus some of the big, more much more well-established names. I think that's a question that all entrepreneurs think about. Yeah, no, it's a very good question. I, I, I must say, first of all, uh, CRM is the it's it's the biggest enterprise software space uh, there is. 
Um, it's also quite fast growing, especially for its for its size. Uh, because I mean, why is it the biggest enterprise software space? Because it's it's the center of the company. It's, you're selling to to, to to customers, and that needs to be managed. Um, but then, if you look on on review platforms like G2, uh, latest time I checked there, there's 635 CRMs uh, listed on G2.com, uh, which is a, a whole lot of them. Um, there's huge ones in there, like you said. Uh, Salesforce is by far the biggest one, controlling about 20% of the markets. Uh, so that's a uh, 20% of a huge market. It's a huge company. Um, but there's uh, other quite big players as well. We don't compete much with Salesforce uh, because we serve small and medium-sized companies. We compete much more with companies like HubSpot, which is also an, um, a publicly um, listed company. And um, what, what we focus on, first of all, I would say um, is, is differentiation. Um, that's That's the first thing we can do. And our differentiation has always been um, that with Salesflare, it's easier, uh, first of all, to, to work with it, more understandable. Uh, when you when you start using the software, you see it's, it's, it's much simpler, at least at the surface, because it packs a lot of features, but it's sort of, uh, yeah, you can, you can peel the onion <laughs> uh, as you go. Um, and, and secondly, um, we focus very much on the main issue with, with almost all CRMs, which is that uh, they're very dependent on you as a user. Um, and what I mean with that is if you don't manage to fill the CRM out perfectly, like you put everything in there, uh, quality data, always keep it up to date, uh, and like, uh, like you're almost a robot, like you're, you're so amazingly good at it, uh, then a CRM is useful. If you don't get to that point, it very quickly becomes useless. Um, and it can even vary. Like you, you could start with a whole lot of discipline and do it perfectly. And at some point, something happens. Uh, maybe uh, you have a, a, a bit a bit more of a bad time or actually have, have a good time and you're selling very well and you're like, I don't need to fill this system out anymore. I'm invincible. And But then from that moment, the, the system starts collapsing, uh, which means that you're, well, you're not managing your customer relationships well anymore. So, to, to, to make that, to make that, um, uh, I mean, to, to understand that a bit, perhaps, um, as a salesperson, imagine uh, managing tens of leads at the same time. Uh, you cannot just do that based on memory. So, you, you need some sort of system where you know what you've last discussed with everyone, what your details are, where uh, you are in the process with them. Um, what you need to do next, when you need to do that, get reminders about that, know um, when things happen, you know, all these kind of things, you need to get that under control. And that's that's what, what uh, CRM uh, vendors build, build software for. At least that's what we're supposed to um, uh, build software yeah. for. Um, and if you don't manage, and that's usually because you stop inputting the data, then your system falls apart and you won't be able to serve your customers well. You, you start forgetting people, forgetting what you last discussed with them. Uh, like, oh, sh I should have followed up with them last week. I didn't, you know, everything falls apart. Uh, and you will have unhappy uh, people that you're in contact with, uh, which is personally what weighs the most on me. 
um, and you will uh, you will miss your your sales targets, uh, uh, and that's that's a huge issue both for, for salespeople and companies. <laughs> now I made a huge uh, detour uh, just to say that we um, solve that issue by making sure that the CRM largely updates itself and is is very little dependent on you, and it does that by pulling the information from. Um, from your email inbox. So it's, it sees there who you're in contact with, names, email addresses, pulls in email signatures, it calculates connection strengths, um, it pulls in the emails in the timelines, it also connects with your mailbox, uh, with your calendar, does similar stuff there, connects with your the call history on your phone, also similar. It injects email tracking and web tracking. It pulls data in from company databases, so a part of that is pre-filled and also on contacts, it will look for social stuff. Part of that is pre-filled next to the, the email signatures, which I already mentioned. Uh, and it, it does that in an automatic sort of flexible way in which it doesn't really matter what you do personally as a salesperson first. It connects these things and uh, very quickly you can, you can pull things together and keep that overview on your customers, which then makes all the rest of your work much easier. So that's what we focus on in terms of differentiation. Um, now I can tell you already a bit of a spoiler alert uh, that uh, when you're dealing with uh, companies that are hundreds and thousands and of times bigger than you, differentiation alone uh, is, is not enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the CRM software is sort of mission critical to any business, mm -hmm. right? It, it's, it's very important to that business. So one of the challenges when, when you're the new company, when you're the new player in town, right? You're, you're the, you're, you're pitching me. I'm, I'm a company and you're trying to sell me. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, uh, sales is a brand new company. And you're asking me to adopt your software for something that's mission critical to my business. What happens if in a year or two from now you disappear? Right. Because mm -hmm. that's always one of the fears of sort of, you know, adopting a, a new technology with a new business. Um, and and uh, so how do you address that issue? Yeah. Uh, first of all, we're we're six, six years in the market and we're pretty stable. So it's it's not so much of a an issue now anymore. Uh, but but certainly I remember our first customer. Uh, they were like uh, using Microsoft Dynamics, something really big. Um, and their sales team wasn't using it, uh, so they said, "Well, we need to try something else." And it came to us. There was a there was a a big pain there, let's say. Um, and one of the things they uh, made us uh, sign is that if we would go away somehow, uh, that there would be one a backup. They wanted to have that security, and obviously we, we have backups uh, automatically in Google Cloud up to the millisecond when every transaction happens and I don't know what, uh, but also that they would get all of their data. Um, and that's, that's something we then obviously guarantee. Now you can, you can always make data exports, but uh, they don't contain everything, everything. If at any point uh, uh, customers need to leave us, we will make sure that they get all their data. Um, in a proper format so you can get it into another system. Um, 
Yeah, that's the the main things, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's an important thing for our listeners to know that that if you're if you're starting a business and and you're sort of critical to your customer, they're going to want some type of an assurance that if something mm -hmm. happens to your business, uh, that they have access. Sometimes I've seen agreements where they're going to want the source code, right? So they're going to want to be able to to take your software and making sure that it continues to run uh, uh, in the cloud or wherever you run it, uh, even if your business disappears, because that's a that's a big challenge for them. I think another mm -hmm. interesting point you brought up is that early on, you have to find the customers, or you have to find potential customers that have a lot of pain, right? Where yeah. their existing system is not working for them, right? Those are the ones you have to, as a, as a new player in town, you're, those are the ones you have to chase. There's no Definitely. sense in trying to go after somebody who's happy with their CRM system because they're not gonna convert, right? You have to go find the disgruntled CRM users and try to convince them uh, on, on your software. So in the beginning, when you guys started, uh, how, did, how did you do that? What was your approach? How did you find those disgruntled customers? Oh, we, we did a, a few things. Um, first of all, we started off with a lot of customer interviews where we would uh, interview companies about the issues they had with software uh, to very much understand you know, the context everywhere, uh, which problems they had with software, how we could fix them, um, problems in sales, you know, know the whole background so we could build the, the software in the right way. Um, but to your point, it's not the best way of finding people with, with that have issues with their CRM. Uh, some of those were uh, not convinced to the point. They would say things like, yeah, our salespeople don't use the CRM, but uh, you know, uh, they should. And uh, if they don't fill stuff out, we might take their bonuses away and uh, things like that. And then when I would say like software can, can, can perhaps still be improved, they would be like, no, no, no. It's just that the, the salespeople are lazy. Uh, it's not the software, it's the salespeople. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm sure the software can be better. And, uh, and uh, uh, But to then <laughs> yes. find people that actually uh, see the issue and are looking for a solution, we started putting all kinds of, uh, let's say, hooks out there. Um, we And as an early stage startup, that's, that's still quite okay-ish. You... you uh, get in some some magazines and some online publications uh, that say, oh, there's this new player in town. And that's actually uh, how we got our first customer. They read about us on, um, it was a Dutch marketing uh, magazine online. And um, they contacted us based on that. And they said, hey, you, you built something new. We have this really big issue here. Uh, yeah. Can you help us solve it? Um, that's an, that's an ways. excellent, that's an excellent point. You know, other people writing about your business is much more yeah. credible than your own advertising, right? So this notion of reaching out early and getting connected with the industry trade journals and trying to get them to do even the smallest little piece on you, uh, gives you credibility right away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another way I could suggest is uh, to be uh, present in places where people have discussions about this kind of stuff. Uh, that's something that definitely can can work as well in online communities or on platforms like Quora or something. Make sure you uh, you're there, answer some questions, uh, engage, and you might find you might find these these disgruntled people uh, that really need something new. Now, now a note about disgruntled people. Uh, 
they might just be in general disgruntled people so watch <laughs> out a bit with that yeah, that's, that's right. That just may be their nature to be disgruntled. It, it, it might be their nature. In right. some cases, it is. Uh, we, we have experiences yeah, like that. Yeah, and their current CRM provider may be very happy if you have them as a customer. Yeah. <laughs> they may be very happy if you take away their disgruntled customer. Uh, so uh, how are you guys funded? How did you guys get your funding to start? Uh, it's a it's a lot of different uh, pieces of funding after each other. Uh, the first piece of money we got was because we got in an accelerator uh, by one um, a big telco company sponsored this here in Belgium. Um, that was our first 25k. We got that with some strings attached, which we could afterwards remove. Let's say uh, we got. Um, Another 50k from another accelerator. That's with a, a convertible note uh, attached, but a, a, a quite favorable one. Then we got uh, another 50k in subsidies. If you're based in Europe, there's all kinds of uh, subsidies for, um, on the one hand, startups, and on the other hand, uh, research type projects or at least innovative projects. Um, then we got a hundred K from the bank and from there we really got launched. Like that was a loan, uh, something we had to pay back, but at least we had money to bridge, uh, any gaps from there. We had, uh, quite some more subsidies here and there. And we also, um, got, got business angels to invest in us, uh, in with convertible notes. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Uh, and sort of what's your background? Uh, did you go to university and what did you do after university, et cetera? Yeah, I, I did go to university. I did not do anything uh, related to this. <laughs> I uh, actually, um, I sort of started understanding I wanted to uh, start a company when I was 15, 16. I was building websites for people and I thought this could be my, my job. Um, but then I, I went, uh, to look at the university at computer engineering on the open day. And um, I saw a bunch of nerds there creating stuff that I didn't get how they were relevant in the real world. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I ended up um, choosing electrotechnical engineering um, with business management because I always want to do something with business. And then um, for my master's, I, uh, I focused on bi the biomedical aspects. So I did biomedical engineering. That seemed just most interesting. Like I, I had medical courses, not just engineering courses, uh, which was very cool. And next to that, it also uh, felt like the best way to, to make an impact in the world because the other options in electrotechnical engineering was a, a telco, like telecom stuff micro circuits and i think energy like when you w want to work in big energy companies it's a good to study but uh not too appealing to me but then i i when i started applying for jobs um i i knew that i didn't want to do a pure engineering job and um i tried to get another type of job i went as application engineer somewhere um which was to yeah, sort of be a product manager of an application. Um, but I wanted to do even more with customers. And then I said, well, we could we could hire as a project manager. Let's do a test. 
they tested me and uh, they uh, decided I was not a good project manager. So that was not an option. And I was so frustrated that evening that I uh, used the credit card of a friend of mine uh, to apply for a test for business school. And uh, yeah, long story short, I got a, I got accepted and uh, had to convince my parents that I was going to do another year of business school and said, I'll, I'll pay it all back to you and all that. Um, and uh, I did business school for, for, for a year. And from there, I immediately went into marketing. Uh, it might seem like an odd thing to do for an engineer, um, but it felt like me as the best way to get experience on how I would build my own company was to do marketing in a big company. Um, in theory, that seemed like a good idea. In practice, it was a horrible one um, because this kind of big company marketing and I was working at Baxter is so restricted uh, as to what you can do that it's not at all like having your own company. Uh, it's more like uh, I was I was basically making brochures about our uh, products and training the salespeople how to use it. That's my job in, in, in short. So I didn't do that for very long. Um, I switched to a marketing consulting company that basically helped pharma companies to become uh, better at digital marketing and sales and all that, uh, because that's something that market uh, pharma companies are not very good at. Because all marketing people are former salespeople, uh, right, right. And and I and I and I happen to be very good at. Uh, so I, I noticed when I was at Baxter, like I was the guy. Every, every people were building websites and they would all come to me, like, uh, how do we do this, Jeroen? And I was like, oh, uh, I can I can fix this. Um, but from there, I started going part-time at that marketing consultancy, tried a bunch of startup projects and rolled from the one thing into the other um, until uh, Salesware came along and um, we decided that this could be the, the successful one and uh, went full-time on it. Very nice. Very nice. So if, if you were uh, having a conversation with uh, a group of young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting their business, what sort of, you know, big three tips of advice would you give them? Yeah, that's, that's, it's very hard to just go from a, I want to start a business to actually starting one. Uh, but the three tips I would give is one, um, think about uh, really fundamental issues that bother you um, that you want to have solved. Uh, so stuff that you see around you and you think like, this cannot be, why, why is it not properly solved? And then you uh, start thinking up solutions because you need s some sort of solution to start, but you need to uh, focus on this fundamental problem uh, rather than the solution because a fundamental problem is something you can really build a business on while a solution, um, yeah, it comes and goes, it might, might, might be made obsolete at some point, or I mean, it's, it's easy to replace and it doesn't allow for a lot of evolution in, in, in your business. Uh, a fundamental problem is something you can focus on for years or decades. Uh, so if you want to start a business, uh, this is a good way of thinking. The second point is to, um, preferably focus on, um, on a 
a, a problem for a target group that you uh, can identify with very well. This will make everything much easier. Um, you can imagine the issue better. You can put yourself in the shoes of your target audience in a much easier way. Uh, you probably already have some sort of network um, in that area because you, you know other people like yourself. Uh, that makes your uh, initial discovery and networking and all that much easier. It's not a requirement, uh, but it definitely helps. Like, like in, to give you a counterexample, uh, during the history of Salesflare, multiple people have said, why don't you uh, turn this into a real estate CRM? Um, I don't know anything about real estate people. I don't particularly enjoy being in touch with real estate people. Um, it, it just would not be a good idea both for um, the energy we put into this, because that's an, another very important thing. Uh, if you focus on a specific target market, you will find yourself spending all your time with people in that target market. You will become one of them uh, and you better enjoy it uh, because otherwise uh, it's going to be a very crappy time. Um, so that's, that's, that's definitely very, very important. So we have a fundamental problem for people you, uh, you can identify with and enjoy being with and all that. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, well, it's not it's not a rocket science advice either, um, but take it very lean from the start. First of all, don't um, don't immediately cancel your job. Uh, everything is going to take way longer than you think. Uh, it's going to take more money, and it's it's going to be excruciatingly I mean excruciatingly slow, uh, at least versus your expectations. Uh, if you cancel your job and uh, you find yourself on that journey, it's going to be very hard on you. Um, focus not just on building something and then trying to sell it. Start very, very small uh, and, and make something simple. Try to sell that or even don't make anything yet and sell something you don't have yet. Um, and third, uh, in, in that same uh, piece of advice, um, focus very much on understanding um, the people you want to solve an issue for, understanding the issue, understanding the best way of solving it, um, and then validating whether this solution you have, whether it's something they want to pay for. That's the whole goal of your first months, I hope not years, <laughs> but at least the first months uh, of working on your startup is all about that because that's just to find out whether there is a company you can build. If you skip that step and you don't focus on it right away, it'll even either take, uh, I mean, you, you might immediately fail or you will work on something for a few years and then fail. Um, because there's nothing there. And the first thing you need to do is find out, is there anything there? And that involves also uh, people wanting to pay for it. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I mean, I know there's companies like Facebook who don't charge anyone, um, but those are the exceptions. Uh, and I mean, obviously they charge somewhere, uh, but those are really 
the exceptions that can right. uh, <laughs> right. avoid monetizing for a long while. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, those are great bits of advice. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Is there uh, something I should have asked you that I haven't asked you? Um, no, no. I mean, we could we could talk about lots of other topics, but uh, nothing in particular, I think. Okay. Well, great. Well, thanks again for uh, being on the show, and uh, I hope the weather there in Belgium is uh, nice, and uh, you guys are surviving the COVID without too many challenges. Yeah, the weather, not so much today, surviving in general, I, I guess we are. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Take care. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. Well, Bela, interesting story. I mean, based on my experiences with CRM, Yarun is absolutely right. Uh, first about this idea of data quality. If your CRM system doesn't make it easy for your staff to capture all the data every time in the right format, it's a huge problem. So this idea of automating these and kind of using these smart technologies to scrape the data from all the ways that you communicate with people, I thought was was really cool. To me, a CRM system needs to be intuitive, flexible, and almost like a personal assistant. And that was an interesting difference between what I know about Salesforce and Oracle and some of the big players in the field and the product that that he's offering. And one of the things we I found in some of the businesses that I've been involved with that use CRM is that people do get sloppy when things are going well. They're busy, they have a lot of sales calls, and you know that's not when they need the CRM system. The near, they need the CRM system when sales go down, right? And they need the boost and the data aren't good because they've been sloppy. So I think what he said really resonated with me kind of based on on my experiences. But I love to hear the story of these kind of small scrappy startups that take on these big players and find a great niche. And this was definitely one of these stories. Um, Bela, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think you make some good points there, Mike. And you know, the CRM stuff in my eyes has really gotten much more important in the last 20 years or so than it was prior to that. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. In some businesses, it's always been important, right? If, if you're in sales and you're selling direct to the consumer, you're selling insurance, you're selling those types of things, uh, you have a lot of customers, uh, so you need, you need to be able to manage all those customers. But other businesses, uh, which you know 20 years ago predominantly sold through distributors or dealers, they may have only had one or a couple hundred, in essence, customers that they dealt with, right? Distributors or dealers. But now all of a sudden with this movement of going direct to consumer because we're selling through Amazon or we're selling through our own website, now the database that we need to manage has gone from a couple hundred to thousands of people, right? So this becomes a lot more critical for most businesses than it was in the past. So from that perspective, it's a growing market segment. Customer relationship management is a growing segment. Uh, and that's good. So that's always, if you're starting a business, that's always a good place to be, right? If you're, because as they say, the tide lifts all boats. So that's a good place to be. Yeah, but but wait, Bela, let me ask you a question though, because you're going in against these huge competitors, right? So if you as a VC, right, if somebody like this came to pitch you and asked you to fund a startup that was taken off sales, taken on Salesforce and Oracle and CRM, would you even invite them in? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because, because there's, there's opportunity here. Uh, and, and I look at it from a couple different perspectives. So perspective number one I look at is uh, it, it, what they're developing 
Is it an add-on to basically the existing CRM systems? Or is it something fundamentally different that they're doing? And the best analogy I can draw is for us old timers who remember when DOS came out, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. There was all these little apps. There was a little app you could buy, which was the calculator app. There was a little app that was for, for, you know, text editing. There was a little app for this and that. And then Windows came out and all that stuff was incorporated into Windows. It's sort of analogous to phones, right? When phones first came out, even even if you had an Apple or an iPhone, you know, you the, the app store had a whole bunch of stuff in it. And the really good apps in the next generation of the operating system, they come out incorporated into the operating system. <laughs> Right. Yep. Think about yep. it. Right. Doing video was wasn't in the original sort of operating system of the iPhone or any of the phones. They were like add on apps you could do to do videos with folks. And then all of a sudden it's built into the phone. So that's the question I ask myself is what these folks are developing. Is it a is it a standalone business or is it just in the next version of of Oracle's uh, CRM just going to be incorporated in there? And then in that case, these guys are out of business. OK. The other, the other piece I ask myself is, is, can these guys get enough traction? Can they get big enough that in two years, someone's going to want to buy them? And so, so the company like Oracle or these other, other Salesforce companies, they're going to make a decision. Okay, these guys have developed something, and we can either develop our own version and incorporate it into our product, or we can buy these guys. So that's a make-buy decision from the perspective of Salesforce or Oracle. And that fundamentally hinges upon how big you are and how many customers you have. So I had a friend of mine who, back in the days of early, early internet days, was in the dial-up business, right? If you can remember when we used to use modems and a phone <laughs> to connect to the internet, he, 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 he provided dial-up service. And I remember... He had a small little company here in upstate New York, uh, regional business, and, and I got to be good friends with him. And I remember him one day s- saying that, you know, he was getting worried because uh, Spectrum or somebody was starting to come around and, and coming into more rural areas, right? Because they typically started in the big metropolitan areas and they started moving out into more rural areas. And he says, I have to get to 10,000 subscribers, And I said, why is that? He goes, well, if I have 10,000 subscribers, uh, uh, Sprint or whoever is coming to do this will just buy me because it's cheaper for them just to buy my customers, right? They're fundamentally buying my customers. If I have less than 10,000 subscribers, they'll introduce a three or four month special, you know, 1099 a month for the first six months. He goes, and I'm out of business. I'll lose, I'll lose 60% of my customers, (laughs) So that that's the second fundamental piece I look at. So, but wait, Bela, did they buy him out? Did he make it they or did. what happened? Yeah, he he, okay. he he got he got twelve thousand subscribers and boom, he got bought. Right? So he had the the sweet exit. Yeah, he he you know he figured he knew what the parameter was. He knew what that he knew what that KPI was, key performance indicator that he needed to get to. So that's an other that's the other lens I look at these these types of things through. Can these guys? elbow their way into a segment of the market that they get big enough and they'll get noticed by the big fellas that they'll end up being bought as opposed to (laughs) 
you know, just, okay, the next version will incorporate it and then you're out of business. So that becomes mm -hmm. the make by decision. Uh, and, and they clearly have to have something in order to get traction on these things. They have to have something that's really critical to a set of customers, something that the current suppliers are not providing. So, so they have to have something that that's really, really, really important. And, and the way, as a, as a VC investor, the way you figure that out is you talk to a bunch of customers, right? You, you start calling up customers and potential customers and saying, is this a nice-to-have feature that these guys have, or is it a must-have, right? So that's, that's sort of how, how I think about it. Interesting. Yeah, because you know, it, it takes some guts to go up against the, the, the big guns in the field and um, yeah, he has some nice differentiation that he hadn't even, he said it himself when he was talking about his, his customers, differentiation isn't enough, right? Sometimes. So, right. Uh, but it's neat. Hope, hopefully they make it and, and it works. It's a really interesting company with interesting products and interesting founding stories. So it was great that, that you found him and, and that he agreed to be uh, interviewed. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Well, one, one quick thing I wanted to say on differentiation is, is that uh, differentiation uh, it, it may be required, but it may not be sufficient. So it, it mm -hmm. may not be a sufficient condition. <laughs> it may be a necessary condition, but it may not be sufficient. Just because you're different doesn't mean people still want to buy your product, right? Yeah. And, and I've heard a lot of pitches, right? Our product is is totally different than anyone else's. Yeah, but does anybody care? <laughs> right, is it valued, right? Uh, right. Differentiation is, it... is different than value proposition, and you have right. to have them both differentiation is the first step, but what you're different on has to be valued by the customers that they're willing to pay, right? It's, well, it's step one and step two. Well said, Mike. Well said. Yep. It's very, very important, right? So yeah, I thought it was good. It was a good guest, a uh, good conversation, and they've built themselves a nice little business. And, and you know, here again, you can do it, right? Yep. You can go up against the big folks. Uh, you got to figure out how to elbow your, elbow your way in between them and carve out your niche and what you can do these days, again, because of the internet, because of this ability to reach customers all around the world, it's a lot, it's a, you have that opportunity where maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, that opportunity was much rarer. Agreed. Agreed. And there's lots of small and medium businesses that needed this service that didn't want to pay the prices that the big players ask. And they're very inflexible, right? This is a much more flexible system. I don't know that, you know, you'd want it in a large multinational, but certainly uh, for small and medium-sized businesses, it's a great fit. And it is. It's knowing that niche, knowing your market, knowing how you can make yourself both unique, right, and valued by the target right. market. Right. Oh, and one of the, now that you said that, Mike, there's another thing I wanted to bring up, which uh, uh, we talked about a little bit in the interview. And that is, a CRM system, that's your, if you're the customer, that's your lifeblood, right? That's a really, really important segment of your business. So when you're a new company and you're knocking on the door and you're trying to sell somebody something that's critical to their business, you have to have a crisp answer to how are you going to support this? What happens if you go out of business? <laughs> Yeah. And your own right. did. He had a really nice crisp answer. That's this right. is what we offer. And this is our track record. And that's what you, you could tell. He's good at this. You know? That's right. Um, that's one of the reasons why he was successful, because I'm sure other lots of other clients ask him that question. Bela. So it's right. a great question. He, get a, he gave a great answer. Yeah, because yeah, that's an impediment to, to, to a customer buying your product. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're, they're worried. Right. What, what happens if these guys go away? Uh, right. Rightfully so. Yeah. so. 
Right. right, rightfully in so. In fact, so, if you were a new business, you'd be if you're a small business, you'd be stupid if you didn't ask a new business right that question. Right. Right? Data exactly. <clears throat> data is the bread and butter of the organization. How do I make sure it's safe? How do I make sure I'm I'm in control of it? And you should be asking that question to everybody if you're a small business owner, everybody that's handling your data. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Want to wrap this cool. one up, Mike? What do you think? Sure, let's wrap it up. Listeners, thanks again for joining us today. We hope you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking like Bailey and I did. Uh, as always, if you have questions about what we've discussed, please feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Yeah, we really do love hearing from our listeners. Uh, any questions, suggestions, comments, uh, we always enjoy reading them. And we'll answer everyone, every one of those emails that you send us. Hey, and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. It really helps us. And or if you can leave a review, that's even better because it sort of bumps us up in the rankings and other people can find us much more easier, easier. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. Hey, Mike, you know what? It's getting what? cold up here. Uh, nine degrees this morning, nine degrees Fahrenheit. So for you folks on the centigrade scale that I think that's about minus 13 C. It is <laughs> it's yeah. cold. Winter has arrived. Yeah, I got to tell you, Bela, I don't miss uh, the minus degrees and I don't miss the snow. So I uh, haven't picked up a snow shovel or a snowblower in uh, oh, a little over three years now. So, But from over here in Münster, Germany, where it actually is cloudy and drizzling, but it's about uh, nine degrees Celsius, which is what I think about uh, 45, 47 Fahrenheit. Uh, I wish you the best and I look forward to seeing you very soon. Take care, Mike. You too.